I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the sons of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the Afterdinner Scholar from Wyoming Catholic College, and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. Those words are from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Are they the thoughts of a bitter cynic? Of a cranky, world-weary old man? Or are they encouraging words of great wisdom? When I introduced the book to the 2022 Wyoming School of Catholic Thought, I argued for the latter. Ecclesiastes contains encouraging words of enormous wisdom, words that our culture, so self-focused and materialistic, so forgetful of death, desperately needs to hear. Let's pray, and I'd like to pray the prayer before study of St. Thomas Aquinas. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Ineffable Creator, who from the treasures of your wisdom have established three hierarchies of angels, have arrayed them in marvelous order above the fiery heavens, have marshaled the regions of the universe with such artful skill. You are proclaimed the true font of light and wisdom and the primal origin raised high above all things. Pour a ray of your brightness into the dark places of my mind. Disperse from my soul the twofold darkness into which I was born, sin and ignorance. Grant me keenness of mind, capacity to remember, skill in learning, subtlety to interpret, and eloquence in speech. May you guide the beginning of my work, direct its progress, and bring it to completion. You who are true God and true man, who live and reign, world without end. Amen. My freshman year in college was an unhappy year for a whole variety of reasons. And while I did do a lot of skiing and enjoyed that a great deal, in the gloom and the slush of March, it was a low time until I discovered a bicycle magazine. Ooh, look at this. With that, I discovered bicycles. I had one at home when I, that I, it was my sort of kid bicycle, but these were really cool bicycles. I read about bicycles. I dreamed about bicycles. I talked to other people about bicycles. I fantasized about cross-country bicycle trips. My spirits began improving. And finally, in the spring, I bought not a bicycle. No, no, no. I bought the bicycle. It was beautiful. Did it make me happy? Ha! You're darn right it made me happy. I loved that bicycle. It made me ecstatically happy for several months. And then, well, then it made me, you know, pretty happy, kind of happy. And, uh, well, I haven't owned a bicycle since that one was stolen several years after I bought it. <laughs> something, something else shiny and new caught my eye. Now, I suspect at the tender age of 19 or so, I had read Ecclesiastes, but clearly had not taken the message to heart. Besides, the world, as the writer of Ecclesiastes makes clear, is filled with shiny things. In this introduction, I want to 
just place before you what, what somebody called obstinate facts that uh, the book talks about. And then we'll go from there uh, into seminars and spend most of our time there. And, uh, and, and with that, I'll uh, suggest topics of conversation. So obstinate fact number one, vanity. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The word here, translated preacher, is a translation of the Hebrew word koheleth. It has something to do with gathering people together in an assembly. We're not sure precisely what it is, but it has to do with gathering people. Um, I'm inclined to believe, with the, uh, to, to believe that a better translation would be pastor. This is a very pastoral book, explaining how to live a full and happy life. The author is popularly associated, just in the title, with King Solomon, uh, the richest, wisest, most powerful king of Israel. He had everything money could buy. He built things. He was amazing. He had more girlfriends than, the, uh, than Elvis and the Beatles. He's a figure with whom we can't compete for worldly success, and who, late in life, looks back. Or at least that's a reasonable argument for Solomonic authorship, uh, even though it's not the only uh, possibility of the author. At bare minimum, the author wants us to have Solomon and Solomon's enormous wisdom and wealth in mind as we read. With all that wealth, he calls it all vanity. Vanity of vanities, sort of just, not just vanity, but way vanity. The Hebrew, the Hebrew word is chevel, which could be translated vanity or meaninglessness or utter futility. It literally means a breath, a breeze. It's there, it's substantial, uh, excuse me, it's there, but it's insubstantial. It's momentary. It's profitless, kind of like that bike I bought to make me happy. In his commentary on Ecclesiastes, Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner wrote, a wisp of vapor a puff of wind, a mere breath, nothing you could get your hands on, the nearest thing to zero. That's the vanity the book is about. What makes this reading of life disturbing is that this airy nothingness is not seen as a mere flicker on the surface of things where it might even have a certain charm. It is the sum total, close quote. Is it the sum total? Or is Koheleth just a little bit over the top when he talks about vanity? Obstinate fact number two, time, time and chance. You may be old enough to remember a group called the Birds and their great hit, Turn, Turn, Turn. To everything, turn. come on, you know it. There is a season, turn. All right, good, very, exactly. That song is kind of is upbeat, it's kind of happy, and uh, 
that melody struck me back in 1965 as a very positive message. Over time, it seems to me that the birds managed to misinterpret Koheleth's tone of voice. I think it's more like this. For everything there is a season, time for every matter under heaven, time to be born, time to die, time to plant, time to pluck what's planted, time to kill, time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, and over and over and over and over. It's all a great weariness and striving after wind. I say that in light of verses 10 and 11, of chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. After all this turn, turn, turn stuff, it says in verse 10, I have seen the business that God has given to the sons of men to be busy with. Um, the, uh, this is the RSV, the Revised Standard Version, that uses the word busyness. Uh, other versions use the word burden. This is the burden God has given to us. And I think that, I think that expresses it a little bit better. God has burdened up us with living in time. Uh, verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put in eternity into man's mind so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. The burden is we live in time, but we want to know the future. There's eternity in our hearts. Consider the continuing popularity of things like astrology, tarot cards, seers, more scientific perhaps, futurologists, stock market forecasters. And we're all very grateful that economists have correctly predicted seven out of the last three recessions. <laughs> Eternity is in our hearts. Timelessness resides in us. But God makes all things beautiful in its time. And let me add, he only makes things beautiful in their time. I want a cupcake. I want it now. But they have to be in the oven for another 10 minutes. And then they have to cool before they can be frosted. And then it's almost dinner time and you don't want to spoil your appetite. Y you get it. You know, we want it now. But everything happens in time. We're stuck in time. And that appear, and, and what that, re the result of that is that we appear to live surrounded by not just time, but chance. Fortune, stuff just happens, and we don't know why. And yet eternity in, is in our hearts. That's a burden. So another question, how does, how does Koheleth, how does Ecclesiastes cope with time and chance? All right, so there's vanity, there's time. Obstinate fact number three, death. When I was a Presbyterian minister in California, yay these many years ago, you know, uh, the local funeral home would a often ask me to do memorial services. You know, somebody would die, do you want to have a service? Oh, yes, we want a service. Do you have a minister? No, we don't have a minister. Would you like us to find one? Yes, you know, and they'd call me. And I have lots of interesting stories about doing memorial services with people I'd never, for, for people I'd never met. During those services, I always read the 23rd Psalm. 
the Lord is my shepherd. And I always read Ecclesiastes 12, 1 to 7. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come. The years draw nigh when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those that look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the streets are shut and the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the voice of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in their way. The almond, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. Because man goes to his eternal home, and mourners go about in the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is broken at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Last night I quoted singer-songwriter Bruce Coburn, everything that exists in time runs out of time someday. The wise person knows that, learns that, according to Ecclesiastes, from his or her youth. Life will pass. And Ecclesiastes reminds us, some annoying, spoiled brat may get all our stuff. We're amassing all this stuff. And of course, all Solomon's stuff, all his wealth, went to the annoying, spoiled brat of a fathead, Rehoboam, who, upon ascending to the throne, uh, Solomon's throne of the United Empire, promptly lost half of it. Complete fathead. And I mean, he was, he was on the money. You don't know who's going to get your stuff. Well, that's who got his stuff. What is Ecclesiastes' overall game plan in face of human death? There's vanity, time, death, and obstinate fact four is work. Between birth and death, we all work. This is his assumption. His works were astounding. He tells us that he also partied a lot. He built the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of William Randolph Hearst's castle at San Simeon, or the Biltmore Estate in North Carolina, or Versailles outside of Paris and France. He invested and had big returns in slaves, animals, crops, silver, and gold. According, uh, assuming this is Solomon, Scripture tells us that during his reign, quote, silver was as common in Jerusalem as stones. And while he was doing all his work, he tells us in uh, chapter 2, verse 10, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, and my heart found pleasure in my toil. And this was my reward for my toil. So he did all this work, and it was actually pleasing to be involved in all this work. 
And then verse 11. Then I considered all my hands had done and the toil I had spent in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He goes on to say, verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who comes after me, and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will be master of all I have toiled, uh, for which I have toiled, and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil and the labors done under the sun. It's significant that the word is toil. The word is tied up invariably with suffering. Um, and while it's a different Hebrew word, the word God used in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, in his judgment on Adam and Eve, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. While it's a different word that both translated toil, nonetheless, both words contain within them this idea of suffering. It's not just pleasant work, it's suffering work. And that's part of our task under the sun. At the same time, over and over, I think six different times, um, for example, chapter 3, verse 22, he says, so I saw that there's nothing better than a man should enjoy his work, for that is his lot. Who can, br uh, who can bring him to see what will be after him? He counsels, enjoy your work. Enjoy what God's given you to do. Uh, enjoy your family. Enjoy your food and drink. Even though he's had this diatribe against all those things to begin with. What is that about? Um, how are we supposed to think about work or possibly toil as we pass our days under the sun? So we have vanity, time, death, work, and the obstinate fact number five is God. Derek Kinder writes that God meets us in this book as creator, as sovereign, and as unsearchable wisdom. He's the creator. He's the one who set up the whole thing, including the painful paradoxes that Koheleth wrestles with. Kinder writes, quote, we are reminded that his world has its own obstinate shape which we cannot iron out to our liking, and therefore, incidentally, has a certain built-in resistance, mercifully enough, to us as planners and standardizers. For who can make straight what he has made crooked? Ecclesiastes 7.13, close quote. The world, to use the overused phrase, is what it is, and God made it that way. He's creator, and he's sovereign, we see that in 113. Also know that it is God's gift to man that every, oh, I'm sorry, 113. And I applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the sons of men to be busy with. If life is a treadmill, it's God who put our feet on it in the first place. If life and work and wine and houses and bicycles inevitably disappoint, 
If the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happens to them all, then it is by the great king's decree. And Koheleth adds, or could add, excuse me, he seems to add, deal with it. <laughs> he's creator, he's sovereign, and he is unsearchable wisdom. Reducing, Derek Kidner writes, our most brilliant thoughts to little more than guesses. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, wrote St. Paul in Romans 11. How unsearchable his judgments and how unscrutable his ways, close quote. And then he has a quote from Isaiah uh, chapter 40. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Has this been your experience with God? Does Koheleth paint an accurate picture? Vanity, time, death, work, God. And finally, obstinate fact number six is judgment. Uh, chapter 11, verse 9, he says, Rejoice, young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you all the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And then the, uh, uh, the last two verses of the, of the book. The end of the matter... Uh, the, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let me suggest that this is the hope that's in the book. This is the ans answer to the painful burden of everything in time while eternity is in our hearts. This is the response to Hevel, to vanity. And with that, I'll, I'll leave you with a final question, which is, how so? And I'll also leave you with a hint. Uh, Professor Jay Buzhashevsky, who will be lecturing here at Wyoming Catholic College in November, uh, ends his new book, How and How Not to Be Happy, with these words. Blessed are those who refuse to drug their discontent with futile satisfactions. Supremely happy are those who settle for nothing less, less than supreme happiness. So consider vanity, time and chance, death, work, God, and judgment. And as you do so, keep our friend Ivan Ilyich and his, and his friends in mind. How would Ecclesiastes speak to Ivan Ilyich? In the seminar discussions at the Wyoming School of Catholic Thought, we were struck by how contemporary Ecclesiastes is and how it speaks to the Ivan Ilyich in all of us. Next week, we'll bring you Professor Adam Cooper's introduction to Sophocles' play Antigone, which, like the other readings, is available online or from your local library. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tunkowicz.